This audio file comes from the Libri Ideas Library at www.libri-ideas-library.org. The library contains over 1,000 lectures and discussions which explore questions about the reality and relevance of Christianity. We ask you to respect the copyright for this audio file which belongs to Libri Fellowship. The file is for personal use to share with friends, family and colleagues, but please do not publish the material in any format or post it on a website without seeking permission from Libri Fellowship. Please note that views expressed in the lecture and discussion time do not necessarily represent the views of Libri Fellowship. Yes, um, so glad to have you all. Um, <coughs> hang on, let me make sure this is working. Yep, looks good just look different than it usually does, this recorded. Um, welcome to the final lecture of our fall term and our final lecture of 2022. Um, so be on the lookout um, on our website and social media probably around the beginning of 2023. That's when our winter term lecture schedule should be posted. Um I'm going to also say, for the benefit of people who maybe will listen to this in the future, uh, recorded, that if you're listening to this recording, uh, you may want to have a Bible with you. I'm going to have a lot of things up on screen for us all here tonight. Um, but if you're listening in the future, hello, and <laughs> have a Bible with you. Um, all right, so I'm going to start with, a, with an introduction that um, gets used pretty often on lectures here, but I don't think I've used it yet, so it's my turn. Uh, to say, actually, Lydia was just asking me about this. Um, we choose our topics and our titles quite a long time before we actually write the lecture. So sometimes the, what we thought our lecture was going to be about changes a little bit. And um, so I chose this, this title, An Etymology of Blessing in the Summer, um, before I really knew where my study was going to take me. And at the time, I knew two things. First, I knew that the word blessing does have a very interesting etymology, uh, which means a very interesting linguistic history. And second, I knew that I was frustrated by the way that blessing is so often used, the word blessing, the forms of that word, are used so flippantly often and unmeaningfully, or it's just overused, um, sort of as like a shorthand for, what are we using it as a shorthand for? That was sort of my question good stuff, I don't know, um, and I'm, I'm just as, uh, just as guilty of this as anybody, you know, filling my prayers with, and bless so-and-so, and bless so-and-so, and bless this time, and what do I mean, what am, what am I using that word for, do we understand what we mean when we're using this word, um, so now that I have done more study on this, I, um, I still like this title. It's still going to work. We're still going to work with it. Um, but I think I would give this lecture a more specific title, and the title that title would be The Hard Edge of Blessing. And I think that will become clear as we get into this. Um, but if you came for the etymology tonight, never fear. We will still talk about that. We're going to start with that. So here's, here's a little outline of where we're headed. We will start with etymology. I'm going to talk a little bit about Hebrew blessing, uh, the words used for blessing in the Old Testament, Greek words for blessing in the New Testament, and kind of drawing from that, give a very probably insufficient summary of the biblical understanding of blessing. And then we'll talk about our English word, blessing. 
And then part two of this lecture, we'll be getting into the, what do I mean by this hard edge of blessing? But we're going to start by uh, front-loading some etymology. So remember, etymology means where is the study of where words come from, the history of words. And language, as you know, evolves and changes over time. Languages branch off from each other. They merge into each other. It's sort of like a, a river system or like a family tree. And just like researching your own family tree can maybe help you understand yourself better, looking at a word's family tree, looking at a word's history, can help us appreciate and understand the word better. Um, another like l- little technical, technical note, I'm going to be using the word blessing, but I mean all of its forms. It's verb form, to bless, to be blessed. Blessing is a noun. Blessed is an adjective, all of those things. So I'll kind of be using those interchangeably because etymologically, they're all from the same roots. Um, all right, so let's start with Hebrew blessing. Two different Hebrew words are translated as forms of the word blessing in our English Bibles. And the first one is esher. Esher is sometimes also translated as happy. So it's found anytime that there's an exclamation like, how blessed is the fill-in-the-blank? Like in Psalm 1, for example, how blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked? Or some translations might say, happy is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Esher is the one. And and the way it's used is less of, um, less of like, a, a, you wouldn't use it like a verb as like so-and-so blessed someone, but it's more descriptive. It's almost as if it's kind of defining what happiness or blessedness looks like. What is the state of being, of being blessed? So it's a state of not walking in the way of the wicked, for example. It's the state of having your transgressions forgiven and your sins covered. Um, how blessed is the one who, uh, sorry, yeah, blessed is the one who takes refuge in the Lord. It's a state of being of the person who takes refuge in the Lord. So that's the first uh, Hebrew word that's translated as blessing. The second one is one you've maybe heard more about, which is barak. Barak can mean to endow with beneficial power. So this is where we get the verb forms of to bless and to be blessed. Um, So unlike esher, barak um, this involves action and power. It's not just about a state of being. And this is the word that shows up in Genesis when God creates living creatures, first the fish and the birds, and then later animals and human beings, and he blesses them and says, be fruitful and multiply. Um, it's the same word that's used. It's actually in five different forms in the blessing that God gives to Abraham in Genesis 12 when he first calls Abraham and says, leave your Leave your family, go to the land that I will show you. <clears throat> so even just from those really quick examples from the very beginning of the Bible, you can see that the blessing is a huge theme. It's really rich uh, in the Old Testament in particular. And my dear colleague, Sarah Chestnut, she's done some good work on this. And uh, she wrote in, in an article that was titled, Bless and Curse Not, A, Pl- a Path to Loving Words Well. She wrote this. It's a really helpful development of this idea of what Barak means. She says, Barak is used almost exclusively throughout the Old Testament for the verb bless, 
and etymologically its meaning is shrouded in mystery. Theories of the root meanings include to break down into pieces, kneel, and hence hence adore. What is not mysterious is that God is the first to bless and blessing is his to give. This root meaning that Sarah pointed out to kneel is really intriguing um, to me, I think, and really rich. Um, Blessing is God's to give, as she pointed out. Um, But in the Bible, especially in the Psalms, people are called on to bless God which is really interesting, you know, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So in blessing God, we are moving towards an infinite being, and it makes sense that kneeling would be the appropriate, probably necessary (laughs) posture. On the other hand, um, and this is, I'm going to bridge this with something that uh, one commentator said in talking about this word, barak, He said, Yahweh's blessing means his welcoming disposition towards men. God welcomes our our approaching him, and he also moves towards us. And in blessing people, God, infinite God, has to come down. He has to condescend. He has to kneel to us. Um, That's really powerful and inspiring to my imagination hopefully to yours too <clears throat> so now this is we're going through this really fast i understand that but bear with me we've got we've got a few more words to get to here come on now okay so the greek new testament also has two words that are translated as oops, as blessing and the first is eulogia um, which is where we get our english word eulogy from and it comes from the greek That means good speaking, to speak well of, to praise. Um, And in Greek, ancient Greek literature, that's how it was used. It was used to talk about speaking in praise of somebody. Um, And it only came to have the sense of bless that we think of when it was used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the the Old Testament, um, to translate Barak. which I think is quite interesting. So the, the Greeks, pagan Greek culture, didn't didn't really have a conception of it in that way. The other um, the other Greek word that is used uh, to translate and is translated as blessed, like in the Beatitudes, for example, is makarios. The ancient Greeks used makarios uh, originally only to describe their gods, because makarios described as one. Um, dictionary puts it, the transcendent happiness of a life beyond care, labor, and death. So it could only be used to describe the gods who are living up on Mount Olympus, happily not involved. Though, I'm like, did they read their own myths? Because they were very troubled by many things, so I don't know. Um, Apparently they were without care. Um, And it was also sometimes used to describe rich people who were above the ordinary cares and toils of lesser people. Um... In, in fact, Aristotle thought it was inappropriate to use makarios for human beings. He said you could only use it for the gods. Um, there was another word he wanted to use for humans, which was more likely translated happy. Humans can be happy, but they can never be makarios because they're enmeshed in earthly life and troubles and all of those things. But what's really interesting is in, in stark contrast to the Greek literature, the Bible never uses makarios for God except two times 
tucked away in 1 Timothy. Um, but otherwise, the New Testament doesn't use Makarios for God. It only uses it, and uses it quite a lot for people. Um, describing human state of being. Most, most of the occurrences are in Matthew and Luke, and then in Revelation. So we've got four interesting, interesting words here. We've got happiness, a state of being, to endow with beneficial power. We've got this idea of kneeling wrapped up in here, this idea of speaking well of, speaking in praise of. We've got this idea of transcending worries and cares and even death. Um, There's a lot going on here. (laughs) When we take these words in their context throughout the Bible, which I'm not going to do right now, that's another lecture. (laughs) Maybe it's a lecture that already exists in the database somewhere. I don't know. Um, But I think think we can kind of summarize, and, and Sarah in her article summarized this, the biblical understanding of blessing really beautifully um, by saying this. She wrote, Blessing is God creating life and thickening it with blessing, adding life to life to life in interconnected layers of sustaining care. So like the Hebrew word shalom, that's often quite shallowly translated peace, um, blessing is about wholeness. It's about Richness, abundance, fruitfulness, filling, flourishing, all of those things. Blessing in the Bible is about life that begets more life. I wrote it up here really big so you can remember that. (laughs) Keep that in mind as we move now to our English word blessing. So unlike a lot of religious or churchy words in English. Um, Blessing doesn't come from English's Latin and Greek heritage. It actually comes from its older Germanic roots, Um, which means it's like pre-Norman invasion, pre-advent of Christianity in the English-speaking part of the world. Old, old English. And here's what Mr. Wilfred Funk which is a pretty great name, um, or Dr. Wilfred Funk, I should say, uh, in this funky little book that I found in a thrift store that's called Word Origins and Their Romantic Stories. This is what he says about the word bless. <clears throat> All right. Bless. Redden with blood. A gracious word with a grisly history. Its forefather was Old English bloodsian, a word that means to consecrate with blood. This, of course, from the blood sacrifices of the day. In later English, this word turned into blessin, and the term finally came to mean consecrated. So today, when we give you the greeting, God bless you, we are actually saying, God bathe you in blood. God bathe you in blood. When I told Anna about this earlier, like a couple weeks ago, she said, that is the most metal thing I have ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) So now the the history of 
of bless in English is actually a little bit more complicated uh, than romantic Dr. Funk would have us believe and a little bit less metal, metal probably. Um, but what started as, as a Christian adaptation, or we could even say a Christian redemption of, of pagan ritual language, um, was further complicated by its similar sound to the word bliss which is also from English's Germanic roots, but it's etymologically unrelated to bless. I hope you can hear the difference the way I'm saying this. Um, Bliss is actually more similar in meaning to the biblical words we were talking about. Um, And in fact, in this little book called The Plain Man Looks at the Beatitudes, William Barclay uses um, the word bliss to translate the blessings that are found in Matthew 5. Trans, uh, this is the way he understands the word makarios. He says, for example, Oh, the bliss of the destitute. Oh, the bliss of the brokenhearted. Oh, the bliss of the pure in heart. So, blesses, meaning, and usage was, was deeply influenced by the word bliss. It's, it's a very, you know, it's a very near homophone. It makes sense that those would kind of be conflated. <clears throat> But I still find myself very intrigued by this deep history, historical meaning of marked with blood. The fact that blessing and our word blood come from the same root is very interesting. Um, and this this has sort of become the controlling question as I've studied this over the past few weeks. Um, and also a little aside here, though this lecture is not technically part of my series on the imagination, um, my imagination has worked a lot with this. And maybe I'm sort of practicing what I've been talking about in those lectures. Um, so this is the question. The word bless, as related to blood, is not supported by the biblical languages etymologically. It's not The biblical words don't have that same connection with blood. But is that connection supported by the biblical story? That's my question. What does this bloody etymological understanding of the word blessing do for us? What kind of work can it do? How can it help us understand what it means to be blessed? In Luke's gospel, we read the story of Joseph and Mary, very familiar story, Joseph and Mary with the baby Jesus going to the temple and they meet Simeon. And after Simeon's famous song where he praises God for allowing him to see the Messiah. He then turns to Mary and Joseph, and this is what the text says. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. What a blessing. This is not, hope you have a great day with unicorns and rainbows and happiness and ease kind of blessing. No, no, this is a blessing with conflict in it, with a sword point in it. This is a blessing with a hard edge. So that's where I want to turn now. We have some etymology under our belts. Let's turn to this hard edge. Of blessing, And there's sort of three points that we're going to look at this with. We're going to look at this 
hard edge of blessing, of blessing meaning marked with blood, this way. We're going to look at first, pain, second, holiness, and third, life. So first, pain. Very simply, most often if we see someone marked with blood, (coughs) bleeding, we see someone who's in pain. That's what we're looking at. Recall that in Genesis, pain in toil and pain in childbearing are part of the curse that comes as a consequence for disobeying God. Pain in toil, pain in childbearing. One one may may involve being bloodied, the second one definitely does involve a lot of blood. So we already see blood and curse, which is the opposite of blessing, very early in the biblical story. And pain is there too. Um, I'm going to jump ahead in the biblical story quite a ways to um, a very curious prayer for blessing that we find tucked away in 1 Chronicles 4, 9 and 10. Which, if you were if you were in American Christian circles about twenty exactly twenty years ago, uh, you heard lots about this little prayer. It's called the Prayer of Jabez. <laughs> and uh, this, if you weren't even alive, some of you probably weren't even alive. Um, it was a very popular book, and uh, and also a vast amount of merchandise um, that promoted this very obscure prayer as as sort of a way to praying for the good life. Um, but to refresh this, I'm going to read it. First Chronicles 4, 9, and 10. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, which sounds like the Hebrew word for pain, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. This is a super random little anecdote that's literally tucked into the middle of a genealogy about a person whose name isn't even in the genealogy. Like, he doesn't have a father, he doesn't have any sons. He's just there, little paragraph by himself. And it's so strange. So what what is going on here? Um, and the first thing I, I would say about this is I, I have questions for Jabez's mom. Several questions. First of all... What did she name his brothers? Labor? (laughs) Sweat? Tears? I don't know. Um, Was she expecting that childbirth would not be painful? Uh, What universe did she think she was in? I don't know. Um, Yeah, it really seems either that she had, like, no imagination or she was singularly hopeless. Um, She had a son named Jabez. He started out with pain. And now, for her, pain defines him. Maybe maybe you've been called a pain by somebody, a sibling, maybe. <laughs> Jabez is called a pain. He's named pain by his own mother. Think how deeply destructive that could be for a person. That sounds to me actually like a parental curse to use the language of the curse of the fall to name a child. 
So I think understanding that or having that kind of an image of what's going on, where Jabez's starting point was, um, I think we can see that that his prayer isn't isn't a magical formula to copy so that God will bless you. Um, instead, it's a it's a cry for redemption. It's out of it's coming out of Jabez's personal predicament of having not been blessed by his mother when he was born. It's a cry that the curse of the fall not define him. And it's an acknowledgement that God is the one, the God of Israel is the one who can turn curse into blessing. Jabez is asking for a good thing and he's asking for a good thing from the right person. But I do think that it's a little bit of a tame prayer. I don't know if we're allowed to judge prayers that way. I don't, I know, I don't, there's lots of things about Jabez's spiritual life I don't know anything about, obviously. Um, maybe he had lots of other prayers that he prayed. Um, and his requests are in keeping with God's broader promises to the people of Israel. Um, but maybe this is the best prayer that Jabez could imagine coming from the background that he came from. But I think it stops a little bit too soon. It stops saying, keep me from harm and pain. Keep me from negative things. But where are the positive things besides the enlarging my territory? Here's my point. How often do we also pray for blessings like this? Just keep me safe. Just keep bad things from happening to me. Just keep me from harm. And that those aren't wrong things to ask for. But blessing is bigger than that. What in our avoidance of pain and our horror of blood and injury do we stop short of asking for? And I think the biblical story offers us some other examples of how we can push further into blessing. Couldn't do a lecture about blessing without talking about Jacob. Jacob was a man with an insatiable desire for blessing. And he would do whatever, whatever it took to get it, even if it meant lying to his old blind dad or stealing from his only twin brother, uh, his only brother, who was also his twin. Um, And so even though Jacob was not ethical in his attempts to get blessing, God nonetheless honors his desire. It's fascinating to me to see how God honors Jacob's greed, actually. So when when Jacob is far from home, he's working to gain wives and flocks, and he's working with his equally tricky, slippery father-in-law, God blesses Jacob. Jacob is literally fruitful and multiplies. Um, And in Genesis 32, he acknowledges this. He prays um, and says this. He says, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown to your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two groups. Coming back, he's got four wives, 11 children, many servants, and so many flocks that it's not that big of a deal for him to give more than 400 animals away. Just, Just give them away. Um, He's not impoverished by doing that. But somehow this is still not enough blessing for Jacob. 
For one thing, he's still mortally afraid of meeting his brother, which, you know, his brother's mad, probably. Um, And all of his wealth hasn't given him security, actually. So, you know the story. On the eve um, of meeting his brother again after many years, Jacob actually finds himself alone. Here's what Genesis 32, 24 to 29, or actually, no, to 31 says. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Then he said to Jacob, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. Jacob, he replied. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob then names the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, he said, yet my life has been spared. The sun shone on him as he passed by Peniel, limping because of his hip. This is a watershed moment in Jacob's life. Jacob, before this moment, was fruitful, blessed. We could say he was incredibly prosperous because God had been with him and blessed him. But Jacob, after, bruised and wounded Jacob, renamed Jacob, he was thickened, blessed, we could say. That thickening blessing only came to him through wrestling, through intense, violent struggle with God, through pain. We're going to come back to Jacob, but I want to also point out that there is a connection between pain and blessing um, in the New Testament as well. And here are just a couple of very explicit uh, passages from the from a couple of epistles. In James 1.12, we read, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God promised to those who love him. And in 1 Peter 3.14, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Again, in 1 Peter 4.14, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And these echo... Oops. Got one more. There we go. Um, and these echo the the Beatitudes in Matthew, where Jesus says at the end of, of the Beatitudes, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So here's the the blessing, I think, that we end up with, taking these things together. Blessed, fruitful, thickened, deepened are you when you engage with God, even violently and painfully, when you are bloodied under trials for righteousness' sake or for the name of Christ. I'll leave that there for now. We'll come back to this because this is very, very closely related to the second hard, hard edge of blessing that I mentioned, and that is holiness. Holiness um, is a word that's often used to mean moral purity or righteousness, which is definitely an important part of it. 
Um, but biblically, it also means set apart, different, distinct. And the connection is, is because one of the main ways to be set apart is to be morally pure in a s- sinful world, to do what is right in a world that generally does what is wrong. It means, holiness means making different choices, swimming upstream, following the way of God rather than the way of the crowd. And when a person, when we are like this, when we, you know, maybe are meek instead of arrogant, when we are patient instead of quickly angry, when we are pure instead of corrupt, we are acting like God acts. We are being like God. And that's an important part of understanding holiness. God is holy. Um, we are being like God when we act in this, these ways, when we become holy. <clears throat> in the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament, only in the Old Testament, let's be real, holy things and people are ritually marked with blood to demonstrate this set-apartness. And I'm going to use a New Testament passage to kind of summarize what this looked like. So in Hebrews 9, 19 through 22, um, it describes what was going on when God made a covenant to the people of Israel to set them apart as his particular people. The particular people that, if you remember, he promised he would bless the world through. So Hebrews 9 says this, When Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves, together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, This is the blood of the covenant which God had commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. So the people of Israel and all of their ritual things were literally marked with blood to show that they were set apart for a particular purpose. And the Old Testament covenant made very clear that there were specific blessings that would result from keeping the covenant, um, from being holy, from living into their identity as this set-apart people. And when Moses lays out these blessings... For obedience, this is in the book of Deuteronomy, and he also lays out the curses for disobedience. He pleads with the people, saying, choose life that you may live. Choose the blessings. Choose the way of blessing. And later on in Israel's history, um, this idea of choosing life is, is picked up a lot in the wisdom literature. And it's here that this idea of following God's way and and instead of one's own way or um, the way of the crowd, um, that's really developed in, in the Psalms and especially in Proverbs. So I'm going to read a bit of a longer section from Proverbs 3 here, um, and I hope you can see the connection that's being made between wisdom, following God's way, and blessing. Got a long, a long section here, but it's a poem, remember? So, um, yeah, listen, listen for that. Proverbs 3, 1 through 18. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. 
Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as the father and the son he delights in. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare, can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. So you can see the poetic form that's happening here. The odd-numbered verses are the live this way part, do this. And the even-numbered verses are the blessing. This is what will happen to you. This is how you will be blessed. We hear about peace and prosperity, favor and a good name, straight paths, health, nourishment, your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will bring, uh, brim over with new wine. This is the language of blessing. And then, tucked, tucked in the middle of this, are these two verses about discipline. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. It's right there, right in the middle of this poem about the way of wisdom, God's way of holiness, which is the way of blessing, what this poem is saying. This this little couplet here, these two verses, um, I think make it clear that there's no illusion that the way of holiness is easy, necessarily. There's a hard edge to holiness. There's a hard edge to God's good way. There's a hard edge even to God's love and care for his children. The way of blessing is the way of discipline. There's constraints there, but they are constraints unto life. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. This particular stanza from this passage in Proverbs is quoted in the New Testament in Hebrews 12, and we're going to spend some time there as well. I told you there were going to be a lot of Bible passages. This is what happens when I start imagining things. Um, (laughs) So this stanza is quoted here in Hebrews 12, verse 4, which, uh, or sorry, 4 and 5. It starts this way. It says, I'm going to highlight the parts I'm talking about. This is a big passage, but hopefully you can see the color change there. Um, So 12.4 says this, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Hey, there it is again, that word. 
You have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, and then quotes, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. The author expounds on this um, some more and then says in verse 10, God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Here, I hope you see threads coming together. This is the blessing. This is the connection between blessing and holiness here. Sometimes I think we think of discipline only as um, a, a painful consequence for doing something wrong. But the, the word here, uh, used in Greek here, is pedia, which is a word that means the whole training and education of a child. Um, it relates to the cultivation of one of the uh, dictionaries I looked at said it relates to the cultivation of minds and morals. The whole person being trained. It also includes training and care of the body, like an athlete's training. This is, like I said, about whole person training. It's about cultivating the soul. It's about training unto life. And it's about sharing in God's holiness about becoming like God. Here's maybe how I would summarize this as a blessing. Blessed, fruitful, thickened, deepened are you when you are marked with blood under the constraints of discipline in your struggle against sin because you are becoming holy like God your Father himself. And I do do want to be clear that I'm not saying that we should go out of our way to punish ourselves, like like we're a house elf in Harry Potter or something, or or even like a um, some medieval monks who whipped themselves to mortify, mortify the flesh. That's not what I'm advocating here. But I do think we need to take seriously the serious language the Bible, the New Testament uses um, when it talks about this kind of training. It is serious. It's just... In this broader passage that I've got up here uh, in chapter 12, the author of Hebrews is talking about enduring hostility and suffering, enduring pain, we already talked about that, for the sake of Christ and the gospel. Um, And he describes that this struggle is with the goal of sharing in God's holiness. Um, In verse 7 up here, it says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. And I think it's really important to, point out here that that God is not just treating the people he disciplines as any old sons. He's actually treating them like his only begotten beloved son, Jesus. And I'm not making that up. It's right here in verse 2. Readers are exhorted to look at Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
consider him. Both pain and holiness or set-apartness and pain for the sake of holiness. For Christians, this is inextricably attached to being like Jesus. Um, other places in the New Testament make this same connection really clear. In First Peter, which I just talked about earlier, quoted from earlier, Peter again and again points to Jesus' suffering as an example of how believers should suffer, but also how they can suffer, how they may suffer. Just see if this is here. Yeah. Um, 1 Peter 2, 20 and 21. If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So Peter's point throughout the book is not that suffering is desirable. Um, he's saying it's inevitable. And because of Jesus and his sufferings, we can think about suffering differently. We can use blessed and suffer in the same sentence without being crazy. And this um, is what brings us to the third part of this hard edge of blessing that I'm describing. And that is life. Uh, Remember what I had up here? Big. Blessing is what? Life that begets more life. The invitation to blessing is actually an invitation into the very life of God himself. What do I mean by this? The life of God. God's love and his fellowship, his dynamic creative power, his holiness... His freedom from the constraints of time and scarcity and death, things that we bump up against all the time in our lives. This is the life of God. It's free from those constraints. And I think often this is this is what the Bible means when it talks about God's glory, about eternal life, about everlasting life, about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It's talking about that life of God. Um, but that still might seem like pretty abstract and out of reach. What does that mean? Participation in the life of God. Um, Here's a pro tip, free piece of advice. No, interpretive advice. When you have the question, some question about God, what does that look like? Blank about God. What does this look like? What does that mean? A great place to start answering that question is by looking at Jesus. Um, What does participation in the life of God look like? When we look at Jesus, we see one who was marked with blood. Actually, one who bled out. We see one who not only knew the hard edge of blessing, but also the depths of the curse. Through whose death we are spared that curse. And through whose resurrection we can share in the life of God. So I'm going to sort of say some of the things I've said already, but in a little bit of a different way. Enduring pain and suffering and growing in holiness. These are part of Christ-likeness. What I've been describing in terms of blessing and being connected with both of those things is nothing other than what Jesus himself has experienced. Um, In Hebrews uh, 2, 10 and 11 makes this really clear. It says, 
In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation, that is Jesus, perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. A couple verses later, it goes on to say this. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death. That is the devil and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Jesus was marked with blood as we all are from birth and from life in this fallen world so that we might share in his life forever. And it's because of Jesus and his work that this hard edge of blessing is precisely that, the hard edge of blessing. It's because of Jesus that this hard edge of pain and discipline is to life, is to participation in the life of God, rather than pain for no reason or pain for punishment and condemnation. I think, going back to Jacob, I think... He had a taste of this in in his life, too. His material prosperity and his fruitfulness, those were good things, good gifts from God, but they weren't enough. He wanted more of life. Jacob wanted more life. He wanted eternal life. He wanted the life of God. And I think that's why he refused to let go of that mysterious opponent. He was a grasping guy from the beginning, but what he really wanted was life. Real life. In John chapter 1, we see a New Testament reference to this story of Jacob. Um, when Jesus is gathering his first disciples. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. I think it's really interesting that Jesus makes it a point to twice say that he saw Nathaniel under a fig tree. And I think this is I think this is really significant actually. In the Old Testament, the phrase under his own vine and fig tree is used several times to refer to prosperity. Um, if every citizen in the land has his own vine and fig tree, this means the country's doing pretty well. There's security. They're not being attacked by raiders. They have time to grow plants, to enjoy the fruit. 
This is how the time of, of Solomon is described. Every Israelite sat under his own vine and fig tree. And this is also how the prophets talked about their hope for after the exile, that everyone would come back to Israel and have their own vine and fig tree. So I wonder, I wonder if Jesus saw in Nathaniel a person who was seeking the blessing of God, someone who wanted the glory days of Israel to return, someone who wanted the things that God had promised to his people, safety, peace, plenty. And Jesus offers him more than that. You will see more than a fig tree, Nathaniel. You are going to get more than material prosperity and flourishing. You're also going to get a whole lot more than you bargained for. This phrase at the end, heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on, those are that's in quotation marks because it's a quote and a reference to that earlier part of Jacob's story when he has a dream of a ladder between earth and heaven. And that was the, the time when God promised to give him the blessing of his grandfather Abraham, land, children, fruitfulness. And Jesus is saying here, essentially, I am Jacob's ladder. I'm the bridge between heaven and earth, and I'm the means by which the blessing of God, the life of God, is going to come down to earth. I love that Nathaniel gets really excited, and um, suddenly his imagination is just kind of exploded, and he can see the possibility of a blessing that's greater than the promised land, that's greater than the return of Solomon's days, greater than the return from exile. He can see, he's looking into the face of the blessing of participation in the life of God. Okay, there's just one more passage I have to talk about if I'm giving a lecture about blessing. We're almost there. The other Gospels talk about the life of God in in different ways. And in Matthew, I think the way that this is talked about is by using the phrase, the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, of course, is where we find the most famous list of blesseds in the Beatitudes. Um, I'm I'm not going to go into these in detail. Don't worry. I've got a fun little chart up here for you. Um, Sort of dividing it. The blessed are these folks over here for... The reason, these reasons over here. Um, the who's and the why's. Why are they blessed? Because these things are going to happen. And I'm sure you've heard sermons before and things before about where, it talks, where, where someone's talked about how this list of people who are blessed are not probably those that we would normally think of as being blessed. They're certainly not the people that the ancient Greeks would describe as Makarios, free from the earthly cares and troubles above all of that. These are people who are deep in the weeds of this world with its sorrows and its conflicts and its sins and its pains and its persecutions. I think we can even, we can even categorize uh, these descriptions of the blessed ones according to our earlier categories of pain, and holiness, thinking of holiness meaning set apart or godlike. But even though their lives are marked by pain and constraints, potentially, they participate in the life of God. 
Many people have pointed out that the kingdom of God has this now and not yet quality. I'm sure you've heard that phrase before. Um, So when Jesus came to earth, he inaugurated the kingdom of God. It started. But the kingdom of God has not yet been fully realized. And it won't be until Jesus comes back again. And the Beatitudes hold hold this tension. The blessed part means blessed now. The four part talks about is talking about future completion. The exception, and I think where this is, is really this tension is kind of peak, is in the beginning and the end where it says theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is present tense now. So participation in the way of Jesus now begins and extends to participation in the life of God forever. Forever starts now. So um, earlier, when I showed you an outline, I had a, a graphic up here that was like a three-way, three-way Venn diagram with pain, holiness, and life, right? But really, life is the one that encompasses both. Um, and I've tried to kind of <laughs> visualize this a bit here with the within the limits of PowerPoint animation. Um, so God's blessing allows even pain, even and even the discipline and constraints that form holiness even the hard choices that build wisdom to be unto life. And not just life as in having a heartbeat and existing. Capital L, life. Eternal life. Life in God's family. Life in God's kingdom. Life to which all these other things (coughs) are added as well. And overflow. Life that begets more life. <laughs> that's my, that's the extent of how I know how to, how to, how to animate things. <laughs> so, as I conclude here, I want to encourage us as we pray for blessing and as we bless others. That's a huge privilege that those who are blessed get is the ability to bless others. May we go deep into the meaning of blessing. As we desire the esher, happiness, of Makarios, freedom from care, may we remember him who Barak knelt down to us, who spilled his own blood, marking us as his own forever, who sits at the right hand of the Father even now, speaking well, Logia, on our behalf. May we move from the prayer of Jabez, who simply sought to avoid pain and harm, to the prayer of Jacob, who wanted to hold on to God and to know his name, no matter how much it hurt or how much it cost him, to the prayer of Nathaniel, who learned God's name and saw God's face and said, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel with his imagination exploded. And may we experience the reality of the prayer that Jesus himself prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you since you gave him authority over all people so that he may give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is what Jesus prayed right before he died. Before 
for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. This is blessing, to know God, to participate in the life of God, the glorious love and unity and fellowship of God, the life of God that begets more and more life. May we know that kind of life. May we be truly blessed. That's all I'm going to say. (laughs) We do have some time um, for conversation now um, but if yeah if you need to leave you're welcome to do that I might ask Sarah to come on up if you don't mind Sarah we're going to try and do what we did a few weeks ago with having another person up here to help say questions again for the benefit of the recording and the benefit of the speaker Question about the the, um, the the passage with Nathaniel. <clears throat> Do you think um, I never it never occurred to me that when Jesus says you'll see the angels ascending and descending this ladder mm-hmm. in reference to the story of Jacob. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's an edge to what Jesus said? Now here's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Mm-hmm. Is that the contrasting mm-hmm. him to Israel? Because really it's like here's a Jacobite who has no I mean, Israel means yeah, Jacob means Perfect. deceiver. Um, <clears throat> okay, that's that was question. You think that's what's happening? Uh, ben, not just, like, ben oh, just answered his own question. <laughs> 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 He's really contrasting Nathaniel to the father of Israel. So this guy's actually interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you want to repeat any of that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> ben was just reflecting uh, further on the connections between. Jesus' encounter with Nathaniel, Nathaniel's encounter with Jesus and Jacob and seeing um, connections in his Jesus' comment in Israelite in whom there's no guile or no deceit and um, that Jacob the name Jacob also means deceiver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's lots of layers of of yeah, connection happening there. Um yeah, I think potentially we don't really know anything about Nathaniel besides this story in the New Testament, and um, but I think potentially he was also someone who was greedy for blessing in some way. That um, that's where my imagination goes anyway. I've written a poem about this. I don't know if you remember, but where I think of him as someone who like steals fruit from trees that aren't his. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's especially that's, figs. Yeah, especially <laughs> figs, and that's. That's totally like imaginary, but um, I can imagine that Jesus would recognize that, just mm-hmm. as God recognized that in Jacob, mm-hmm. you know, in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tim. Do you know which word uh, was used when Jesus, before around the time he commissions his disciples, it says, "And he blessed them," and before he ascended. Do you know which which word in Greek or otherwise was? I would guess. Usually, when it's a verb like that, uh-huh. it's usually eulogia. Okay. I'm, I don't know for sure. I have to look it up, but cool. that's my guess. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah
Yeah, Peter. Uh, you, you spent quite a bit of time in Hebrews, and uh, whenever I think of Hebrews and this idea of blessing, I, I go to that mysterious encounter between Melchizedek and Aaron returning from the slaughter of the kings, and uh, and how in that meeting it seems like so much of you know God, you know God is priest, God is. Uh, Redeemer, God is found in Aaron, but not. Uh, I mean, it, it, there seems to be so many things conflated and uh, wrapped up in that. And uh, and were you tempted to deal with that uh, uh, passage as well? Peter was. Um yeah, drawn in by the many references to Hebrews and found himself thinking about, um, it, this is not fresh in my mind, actually, but the story about Melchizedek and um, who else was it? Was it uh, Abraham. 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 Abraham, yeah. And, um, yeah, wondering if Esther had thoughts on that. Um, that's not a passage I looked at in detail, though I started to, like, when I started thinking about the idea of the ideas of blood, bless and blessing, um, and holiness. I mean, you can trace that all the way through Hebrews. All of those things and life, all of, like it's all over the place. It's I, I think it's one of those things that if you start looking for it, you're going to see it everywhere. Um, in Hebrews, in particular, because it's dealing so much with the sacrificial system, but also and with the priestly system. Um, and it goes back even farther than to to Melchizedek. So yeah, I think it's it's definitely all in there. Mm-hmm. Just a uh, question um, with uh, particularly the word karyas in the New Testament. Uh, this one gets rendered as uh, happiness. Mm-hmm. Just curious if you have any thoughts on, how, or just how you you think of that rendering of the word in light of what you've been saying about mm-hmm. blessing and our own culture that like strives for happiness, but obviously quite a different one. I'm just curious if you've Joshua is wondering uh, if Esther has further thoughts on the use of makarios in the New Testament. Frequency of, of choosing that word. Um, or translating it as happiness. Translating mm-hmm. that word as happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or just the nature of happiness mm-hmm. in an understanding of being blessed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I feel like you were, sometimes maybe like hashtag blessed, whatever, like... Mm-hmm bless you, you know, mm-hmm. is just synonymous with a very empty sort of happiness, mm-hmm. or just be happy, feel nice for a moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I was just curious if you have any thoughts on that kind of emotional, the, the um, positive emotional sense of being happy mm-hmm. that comes with God's um, makaria, or being makariast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, yeah, any, just really any Free association. Right? <laughs> Free association. <laughs> so actually, this little book is so lovely. If you just want like 
a very pastoral like ex- explication of the is that the right word explication it's a word yeah um, of the beatitudes, but um, he talks about the word happiness and he he looks at the etymology of happiness a little bit the word happiness and it comes it has hap in it like just so happens or happenstance um, so happiness has to do with circumstances mm-hmm. um, and that's why it's fleeting because it circumstances change and you it's not happy anymore um which i think is it's interesting that he use, he then uses the word bliss instead and we can talk we talk often about you know you could say like someone's blissfully unaware um that's that idea of like being transcending kind of circumstances which i think um is is more the sense of makarios um in, in the in the greek sense and and is a helpful Thing. So I think it connects more than with what we might call joy that doesn't... So blessing connects more with joy, lasting blessing, solid blessing. Joy that that doesn't necessarily fluctuate with circumstances. So happiness is, is a good thing, but um, not a lasting thing necessarily. I'll just say for listeners, Esther was referencing the little book, The Plain Man Looks at the Beatitudes. Yeah, Peter. Uh, just kind of picking up on what uh, Joshua was saying about this idea of blessed is ha- happiness in the carios. Uh, and perhaps, uh, what, what, what was it, free form or uh, the, uh, the possibility? I think Esther can do free 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 association. Oh, yeah, for free, free, free. I don't know if you're allowed. The possibility that Makarios is related to even today what's called comfort food, which is what in cheese? What? Macaroni. Oh, macaroni. Macarios <laughs> and macaroni. Peter, Peter's free associating. <laughs> Liberally free associating. <laughs> There's a possibility that, yeah, yeah. I mean, that macaroni comes from Macarios. And, uh, yes? But it's Italian. Uh, well, it's Mediterranean. <laughs> and then also. Also, the uh, the idea that makarios may be related to the Greek makros, meaning big, mm-hmm. and um, and thus the idea that makarios can have this idea of being untouchable, mm-hmm. which I think is really quite uh, fitting. <laughs> so you can makarios and cheese. Um, Peter, I don't know how I can summarize that, but I want to try. Uh, Peter's, yes, Peter was further sort of free associated on free associating on the word macarius and uh, pointed to macaroni as maybe having a connection, comfort food, the things that we uh, think of as comfort food, and then also pointed out macro and the largeness, which made me think of Olympus and the largeness, um, the awayness of the Greek gods, Mm -hmm. with whom I guess that word was primarily associated. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. 
I'd, I'd have to do a lot more work to see if there is connection with Macros. Macarios comes from this poetic form, which is like not a helpful definition in the dictionary, <laughs> of Macar, mm-hmm. whatever that means. Mm-hmm. So they don't, like, what the research I did didn't go very far back, but it's all yours. <laughs> <laughs> Dig as far as you like. Did you have your hand up, Lydia? Oh, yeah, with Macarios, you were saying that it was mostly associated with the gods, like you would in poetry only use that. So if the New Testament writers were starting to use it in the New Testament, is that, like, is part of their reason to use that word is to, like, show that, that God is bridging the gap between human gods, mm-hmm. but, like, in a sense, the blessedness that was just for the gods um, is actually now brought down to humans. Like, we can participate in that, like, kind of the barriers are broken down um, through Jesus. Is that Yeah, Lydia is wondering if the New Testament writers used Makarios, which is associated with Greek gods, um, in, in pointing to uh, Jesus being one who, um, yeah, is God made flesh and is bridging um, the distance mm-hmm. between God and humans. And if I can just tag on, did I understand correctly that it's actually only used twice in First Timothy, Makarios? You made a mention of this. Is it used more frequently than that? It's used a lot more frequently than that. It's only used of God of twice God. in First okay. Timothy. Okay. Um, the blessed and only potentate. Uh-huh. That fun little phrase. Yes. Mm-hmm. First Timothy and then another spot in First Timothy. Um, yeah, I think I think that sense is is there, Lydia. Um, there is there is so there is a step that I didn't tell you. <laughs> about in the history of Makarios. So initially it was very poetic, only used of the gods. It did sort of become common, like our word blessing, like everyone was throwing it around, so that actually at some point, I don't remember exactly which century, um, poets were like, don't use that, or like orators shouldn't use that word. It's like common now. It's vulgar. We shouldn't use Makarios. So so the, the, um, the Greek writers, the the writers of the Greek New Testament were probably using it as like a common word that people would have known, but I think that that sense, I think there's like a poetic or imaginative connection that is there still between that idea of of transcendence coming down, that ability to be untouchable, like um, Peter said. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm thinking of the passage Peter was just thinking of, and he was seven. It's interesting, and I've thought about this, and I unfortunately don't have a Greek testament mm-hmm. here, but, but it's, yeah. it, it is beyond dispute that the inferior the inferior is blessed by the superior. Mm-hmm. No. And this has been the Melchizedek passage. Yeah. Which is, I wonder which word he's using there of, of, of blessed. Do you want to look it up, Dick? We do have uh, a Greek New Testament. I'll a minute, but... <laughs> yeah. If you want to. This is so exciting. Dick <laughs> opened his... English Bible, and now he's opening the Greek one. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Keep going. Bro. <laughs> you wanna... Dick has further thoughts about the um, Melchizedek story. Mm-hmm. We're waiting for it. Does anyone have any other thoughts while we're waiting for that? Um, yeah, Jacob. Jake. Curious <laughs> if you could talk more about Barak mm-hmm. um, in relation maybe to the, the thickening and deepening. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about 
of, of blessing. Mm -hmm. um, or, or maybe just talk about it again, because I remember you saying that it was brought up in Genesis. Mm -hmm. Was that brought up in, in creation? Or, mm -hmm. okay. But, yeah. Yeah, Jake was curious to learn more about the Hebrew word barak for um, blessing and the yeah the thickening of life and wondering if that yeah was used in in Genesis and the creation account. Yeah, so when and actually Sarah can probably answer this better than I can. But, sure for you. Um, <laughs> but in uh, in Genesis one, when it, it's actually the, the first time God blesses the creation is when He makes fish and birds. And he blesses them and says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the space that you're in. Fill the water, fill the air. Um, so that idea of, like, filling, I think, is some of where that thickening idea comes from. Um, and then and then he says, similarly to, to people, um, and to animals and to people. And then he also gives further, a further blessing to, to humans. Um, and And that blessing is phrased. And this is an interesting thing. I think we often think of blessings being, like, you know, the pastor at the end, the benediction, where someone says, like, may the Lord bless you, you know, or, like, go in peace, something like that. But a lot of times in the Bible, blessings that use Barak, especially in the Old Testament, are phrased like commands, or phrased like, phrased kind of like a pronouncement of truth, or of, yeah, and I think some of that is, like, the thickening of, of meaning, uh, and not meaning of, of blessing and of life that happens there. So, like when when Jacob blesses his sons, this is I think something really redemptive too. It's totally an aside about the story of Jacob is like Jacob's dad had two sons, but only one blessing, which was an oversight I think on Isaac's part. Um, Jacob had twelve sons, and he blessed every single one of them. Um, actually, one son got two blessings, one for each of the grandsons. But um, and that. A lot of those blessings aren't like, you, you know, may you have lots of land and stuff. It's like, you are this. Um, you are, I mean, one's like, you're a wild donkey of a man. It's like, great, thanks, but okay. Um, <laughs> you know, there's things like that where it's like, is this a blessing? But I think it's that idea of thickening life. Like, imagine your existence more deeply. Um, yeah. But yes, it's it's in Genesis and in Genesis one, and then mm -hmm. continues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. I just think that's interesting that because that really highlights that insight really highlights the difference between the biblical understanding of blessing and the way in which it's used today, mm -hmm. which is sort of just um, well wishing, mm -hmm. Bless, blessings. You know, but does mm -hmm. it mean um, the good stuff that happens? Incorporates the the, the 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 idea of discipline. I mean, like, I remember hearing a lecture.
lecture years ago at a conference with Wim Ritker. was talking about the phrase God bless America. That, that had just been so beaten to death. Uh, the only, only really meaning sort of a health and wealth gospel kind of, you know, God, God bless, may God give us the stuff we want and help us to succeed. Not really a concept of blessing that like, may God lead us towards holiness which might involve discipline. You know, mm-hmm. No one wants to hear that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Was there, is, there any, mm-hmm. is there any way to... <laughs> Revitalize the word or reinfuse it with with meaning without talking for twenty minutes to somebody about what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> I think, in a nutshell, Ben is wondering if if the word is a lost cause today. <laughs> Good uh, if, the, if the word was can be renovated. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder. Like I think of the ironic blessing. all good stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it really wrong to, I mean, do we have to say, and maybe you believe in the answer pain too? I mean, you know, it's like, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lisa was just um, pointing to the Aaronic blessing, may the Lord bless you and keep you, etc., and noting that doesn't seem to contain the same sort of hard edge um, of blessing. Um yeah, I just wanted to jump in, kind yeah, of I'll going all, all the way back to Jake's um, question mm-hmm. about Barak and then kind of tying this through. Um, yeah, I think the the visual that comes to me, is, and especially, you know, as you pointed out, Jacob's blessing of his sons is like, these are statements, maybe hard statements mm-hmm. about them, true things. Um, it strikes me as like, it's like, here's some weights you need to lift. <laughs> like, there's some resistance that you need to, to struggle with to actually grow your muscles in this world. And um, so I don't think, they're not, they're not curses, but they are, they're challenges. They're mm-hmm. invitations to, to wrestle, like mm-hmm. Jacob does, invitations to grow into and actually contend with something um, in a way that... Uh, it draws it draws something more out of you than maybe you thought was there, so I think that's like that's uh, a life giving hard edge um, of blessing. It's not just sort of ignoring um, areas that need growth or uh, shying away from hard realities, but it's naming them and inviting uh, maturity. I think it's inviting like, like a growing into maturity. Mm-hmm. And this is not biblical content, but I, I often think of the great divorce and the imagery that C.S. Lewis uses of like heaven itself is, is profoundly thick. It is so solid that the sort of wispy beings of hell, uh, you know, like the grass hurts their feet because they're not they're not thick enough. They're not solid enough to even walk on the grass there. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're long. The longer they're there, and really like contending with the hardest things that each of them need to face about themselves, mm-hmm. they become thicker mm-hmm. um, and more solid, more heavenly in in that uh, way. Mm-hmm. Okay, it goes with that um, thing, the discipline, mm-hmm. discipline the ones you love, and that mm-hmm. calling. Mm-hmm. 
somebody in or out to greatness. Yeah. Yeah, Lisa is seeing a uh, connection to the d- disciplining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would just say, like, uh, I think we can often think of discipline as punishment, but, like, dis- discipline is training. Mm-hmm. And that's what yeah. really stood out to me in the Hebrews passage about training, like mm-hmm. whole person training. Mm-hmm. Um, pe- the the root of ped- pedagogy, yeah. presumably. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I want to go back to what, what Lisa said, too, about the Aaronic blessing, the blessing that was that the priests were to say, that the um, Levitical priests were supposed to say to the people of Israel. The interesting thing about that is that it's sort of like a... Um, I'm uh, losing all my words now. Um, like deflected blessing. So God is the one who blesses, and it's more like this is a prayer that the priests pray on behalf of the people, which is "May God bless you," which is is a way of them blessing the people. But see how it's sort of like deflected. So may the Lord bless you. Mm-hmm. One thing we're praying for. Second thing, keep you, make His face shine upon you, give you peace. Um, so the asking God to bless them, I think that's still in there is like bless however, whatever that, whatever God's use fit to do in that blessing. Um, I think it's still contained in that, in that, in that prayer. Can I, yeah. <laughs> we've, we've left out, yeah, um, and maybe gracious to you and may the Lord lift up his countenance on you as mm-hmm. part of it. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious if you know, or if others know, I mean, to me, that's like asking to see God's face, yeah. like may God turn His face to you, may God mm-hmm. look at you, which was, you know, also something that like, well nobody can do that and live. Mm-hmm. I mean that sounds like a hard edge, yeah, a blessing in, within yeah. within that one. Yeah, and in in um, both the Old and the New Testaments, the the idea of God's face and presence, those words are kind of interchangeable. So like may God's presence be here, but for the people of Israel, for God's presence to be there. It took a whole lot of blood for one thing, right? It took a lot for them to be holy enough for God to be there, which was the whole point of the whole covenant and all of that. Um, yeah, so I think you're right. That connection is there. Dick, I don't want to forget about you. Yeah, Eulogia <laughs> is, 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 is the one that occurs there. It's, mm-hmm. it's beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. That's mm-hmm. using the Eulogia word. Yeah, I think, I think almost any time it's a verb... It's going to be eulogia when it's the the um, I don't know what part of speech that is, but the the pronouncement of blessed is the blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are blessed are you when people say yeah. That's the Makarios one, yeah. Yeah. So Makarios, yeah, and Escher kind of go more together, and then eulogia and Barak. So I had them the wrong way, I guess, on the chart, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, Tim. Do you have any thoughts about how a church in its songs might incorporate <laughs> themes of blessing? Not necessarily just bless the Lord, but mm-hmm. over the congregants. And like, there's the song of the blessing, which was really mm-hmm. maybe it's still really popular, but it's just the erotic blessing song essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but imagining it and mm-hmm. singing it, do you have any thoughts about that from a church's Yeah, Tim was asking um, how Esther or others in the room might imagine um, churches 
um, maybe renovating, to go back to Ben's <laughs> question, <laughs> renovating the word blessing through, through music and um, worship, the songs that are sung in our, in our worshiping life mm-hmm. together. Um, I, I do want want to put that right back at you because I feel like that's your job and like a way that you're thinking regularly. Not, not I'm not trying to just pass the buck, but I, I I'm wonder, I'm wondering if like do you have thoughts already? Like as you ask that question, I'd love to hear. Uh, it would mean uh, being willing to use imagery and probably mm-hmm. something that speaks closer to like poetic story. It's we mm-hmm. it's a little bit easier, tempting to write songs of worship in more of like virtuous abstractions mm-hmm. and such and we sort of blessing is kind of this virtuous abstraction of something mm-hmm. but to talk about trees or whatever imagery scripture might invoke mm-hmm. and it's probably going to maybe sound a little more folky maybe <laughs> or, or something like that like we're, we're cool with narrative when it comes to Christmas and Advent stuff for sure mm-hmm. um, but I wonder if it's going to evolve more what Proverbs talks about perhaps you don't think it's going to sound metal <laughs> uh, sounds pretty exciting to me. <laughs> Can I follow up with what this, this um, the passage that you read think about the superior blesses the inferior. So what does it mean that that bless the Lord of my soul? So when when the Bible talks about us blessing Him. Mm-hmm. It, make, it makes sense when you have passages like the father blessing a son, because there's a sense of the you know the older blessing the younger, passing something on. Mm-hmm. That's sort of analogous to God blessing people. But when we turn turn to God and bless Him, does it mean something other than pr- praise, mm-hmm. or 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 to, or to what you know to what? Given all the things you said about what blessing means, the thickening and the you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it mean, you know, bless the Lord of my soul? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, Ben's asking um, what it what it means that humans also bless God, um, like mm-hmm. and bless the Lord, oh my soul. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think a number of things come to mind immediately, but one of them is is this idea of what we were just talking about with. Bless, you know, Jacob blessing his sons. Some of it's just saying true things about that about him. So maybe some of it is acknowledging and saying true things about God. And that's it's interesting that it's bless the Lord of my soul, which is one of those psalms where the psalmist is talking to himself, um, uh, which is often like, "Come on, soul, like <laughs> let's get out of the dumps that we are here in here and focus on what's true and say what's true." And I wonder if that's say what's really real. And I think that's an aspect an aspect of it for sure um there's also a sense in which um I, this is just a kind of a question um bless is an, an an example of an inferior an inferior blessing a superior in the old testament is when jacob is old and he meets pharaoh jacob blesses pharaoh um and maybe it's because he's really old, so maybe he's a superior to younger Pharaoh. I don't know what's going on there. But blessing can also kind of, it's a, it's a way of greeting. So it's used as a greeting. Um, and so I wonder if, again, saying like, hey, soul, have you said hello to God yet today? Is part of that, you know? Have you greeted God? Have you recognized that God is here? Um, have you turned to acknowledge 
um, his presence. I don't know. That's kind of the pre-association where I went with that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's another place you get on the same problem is you're, you're meant to glorify God. Mm-hmm. Glorify God? Mm-hmm. I have no glorify? Are you kidding? God is the source of all glory. Mm-hmm. Anyone I have is totally derivative and badly beaten up and bruised. Mm-hmm. And what are we doing? Uh, I, I just I, I, I thought about the, where we're meant to magnify the Lord for Philippians. Uh, how do we possibly magnify God? Uh, well, actually, what does a magnifying glass do? It just helps you see better what's already there. Mm-hmm. Uh, makes you see and, and more clearly and more undeniable way what's actually there. You're not making God any more than glorious than he was, mm-hmm. uh, but you help other people see that glory of God by, as you say, like, where, where you're, you're recognizing God as he is. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're just helping, doing for yourself and others, to, to help people see the, the God that's really there. Mm-hmm. And then I think we do. We, we're, we, we, we magnify God in the sense of uh, people are incredibly blind to him. Yes, and so on. Yeah. Yeah, I think that goes back to answering Tim's question a bit too. Like, what is what is our music in church doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry, I don't remember your name. I'm Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Thank you for the lecture. Um, I have to say, like your description of the word made me like so much better understand pain and suffering mm-hmm. and like give meaning to it. That would, like really And it says in verse 2, counted as all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials, various kinds. And then as you scroll down or look down, then verse 12 is, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he is to the test, he will receive the crown of life. Mm-hmm. So it may, I guess my question for you is, like, um, if your definition helps me understand, like, the richness of the word, like that we could be going through all these trials, but that there is blessing here on this earth, and, and then how does that translate to prepare us for heaven mm-hmm. or to the next life? Like mm-hmm. maybe there's things that happen that we don't fully see through good end, but um, I think that's something I struggle with, and so I'm mm-hmm. curious how mm-hmm. you were alluding to blessings and the next life. I think it's Mm-hmm. Amanda was um, yeah, appreciating the way in which this understanding of blessing also uh, gives really a fresh understanding of pain and um, yeah, gives a more meaningful understanding of that and then thinking of uh, James chapter 1 and then ultimately asking the question of like how this might prepare us for um, life with God eternally. Mm-hmm. Um, like like the further blessing in yeah. Life, yeah. Yeah, like what what would blessing look like mm-hmm. in that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and thinking about that idea of the you know, blessed are those who endure suffering now because they will receive the crown of life. Um I don't know what that means. Like, what is that 
crown. Is it literally a crown? Which I'm cool with. I love crowns. <laughs> um, or is it, does it mean like the crowning of the life that has already started now, the eternal life that Jesus has already inaugurated now, um, the crowning moment of that will the, um, culminating. culminating. Yes, the consummating. Word. Yeah, the <laughs> like it will <laughs> the completion. That was the word I was looking forward to <laughs> of that. The, the yeah, the completion of that will happen, but, but the life is already starting now. Um, I think that piece is, is in there. What all that looks like, how does that connect with like the language in other places about rewards? No idea. I don't know. I didn't study that for this. <laughs> um, but I think, I think, at least for me, um, there's a deep comfort in pain knowing that it's being like Jesus to suffer unjustly you know um, to face pain unjustly um, and that's that's the message of first Peter which is like my favorite book in the New Testament but um, is that you like you're blessed because you get to be like Jesus who is our, our master our king our Lord um, who's God um, I think there's a deep comfort and and um, realness to that. If realness is the right word, but that's thickening, I think, in itself, deepening in itself that reality um, of getting to be, getting the privilege to be like Jesus, mm-hmm. getting treated by, you know, getting treated like a son, like the son. Um, it's not. It's not a fun time necessarily, but it's good. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. This time I've been thinking about that question about how mm-hmm. to like redeem the words less. Yeah. And the thing that keeps coming to mind to me in all this conversation and like thinking about leading towards heaven is like I feel like replacing the word blessed with making fully alive. Mm-hmm. Like anytime like God's blessing you, he's in the process of making you fully alive. And it's it's not and that can encompass so many things. Like it will encompass pain because we have to learn to let go of our sin. And it will encompass holiness because we have to learn to be set apart and but then it also can just encompass good things where mm-hmm. God just shows us his like mm-hmm. how generous and how wonderful he is. Mm-hmm. And like we're just being mean opposite like, and I think it comes back to that idea of Jacob vision for too. Like Jacob at one point had like this great life. He had all the flocks, he had all the wives, he had everything that, you know, theoretically made a good life. And he's like, no, that's that's not enough. And it's like we're being weaned off of this, like just pure physical life that maybe we're successful in realizing what what's the real life that we mm-hmm. can to that. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I think community connecting to what Amanda was saying about, you know, the suffering eventually like on the other on, when we get to paradise then it'll all be there. Like, we'll, we'll have been prepared to actually be part of real life. Mm-hmm. And then we'll be ready, and then it'll, it'll all happen. We'll be ready to live the thick life. Mm-hmm. We'll keep getting thicker, too. Yeah. I don't think that stops. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, I didn't 
I'm not going to summarize well, but Lydia, what did you say? Instead of saying blessing, we should say make fully alive. Make fully alive. Um, I like those little challenges, you know, mm-hmm. like this is a tangent, but I've recently been challenged to say instead of instead of saying, oh, I don't have time for that, to say that's not a priority for me. You know, to be like, oh, is that, is that, is that actually what the issue is? <laughs> um, you check my priorities. But yeah, to be like, okay, I'm bless is coming out of my mouth. Like, what if I said to make fully alive? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we also <laughs> need to use the word benediction more. This is also going back to Ben's question. More for when we're just saying good things about something or someone um not just like to say that's like what the pastor says at the end of the service but um you can't really turn that into a verb very easily but um but you could like you know if you're like if you're a person who's gonna like sign off your email blessings you could be like benedictions <laughs> which would be pretty dorky but also great if we all do it it won't be dorky yeah. um, <laughs> Um, and that's that would be from the latin right to speak well of yeah yeah eulogy has come to mean something else in england Mm -hmm. in english even though in greek it means the exact same as benediction speak well of Mm -hmm. um it means you know someone's died and you're saying a nice speech about them but um they're actually like english has a vast vocabulary and we only use like this much of it so we should look for those other words. They're probably already there. We probably don't need to make up words. Um, yeah. Uh, so go out to the dictionaries, people. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a good time to me. I'm sorry. I'm pretty nerdy. But um, <laughs> yeah, may even our language be thickened. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Great Shakespeare. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even in English, if you're reading about the Beatitudes, for example, Beatitude is Latin from the Latin, but you could also, it, some commentators will talk about macarisms, which is from Macarios, which is the exact same thing. Pronouncements like blessed are the blank, but macarism is. Can you be used in English? So just throw that around, you know, in your ordinary life. <laughs> Stand church. Yeah, sure. Sing some okay. little macarism. <laughs> and then we're going to have macaroni. <laughs> That's a challenge for you. Put the word macarism into a worship song. Nikayla. <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
pain involved in that labor, and even even that idea of crowning. I mean, mm-hmm. that has to do yeah. with your head mm-hmm. and and a crown, but just the the imagery of mm-hmm. crown, crowning and labor and pain and blessing. Mm-hmm. It all has to do with the new life. hope you heard Michaela. <laughs> she was just making, yeah, I think beautiful connection to the language of um, crowning um, with with the literal uh, labor and delivery of children um, who are a blessing, and yeah, the, all of the connections in in that um, very painful experience, but that new life is is being brought forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that relates to what what Lydia was saying as well. In the ter- in the sense, like a, a a baby in the womb is fully alive, but it's not supposed to stay there forever. That would be a problem, major problem. It has like to be born. Is that's what it's what is supposed to happen? What needs to happen? And that's that idea of being being made more, even more alive. Um, yeah, I think it's, it connects there as well. Yeah, kind of just kind of tying into that, being backing off of that. It was so interesting to me when you pointed out Jabez and how he saves him, and how like his mom named him for the pain of mm-hmm. his coming to life, coming fully alive, and how often like how often do we get stuck on the pain bubble mm-hmm. in like pain holiness and life. And just wondering if you had any tips from your own life or your own experiences to share with us about when we get stuck on focusing on the pain or letting that be the mm-hmm. identifying factor in our stories. Mm-hmm. Like, how can we maybe take a step back? You talk about imagination and imaginations mm-hmm. exploding with Nathaniel's and mm-hmm. others. And, like, what does that look like for you? And maybe what ideas or suggestions do you have for us when we tend to miss? miss the whole picture of the blessing that's happening to us mm-hmm. and instead get kind of myopic and focused on just the pain piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. what might be some mm-hmm. steps we do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. I think Millie's probably close enough. I won't mm-hmm. try to summarize at length. But yeah, the question of what do, what, what do we do when we're stuck with the pain? In the pain bubble, like your imagery mm-hmm. on the PowerPoint and lose sight of its place in the bigger um, mm-hmm. work of God blessing us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, I think kind of one, one thing that comes to mind immediately is, is what I mentioned before, that um, I know this just, it can sound just like a churchy answer, but it's, it is deeply, personally comforting to me to look at Jesus and the pain that he experienced um, that was very important <laughs> pain um, but all, but didn't end there like it didn't end on the cross right like there is resurrection and that's the path the same path that we're promised um, I think also a, a really helpful, tip like you said is that idea of saying bless the lord oh my soul like what is really real about who god is Mm -hmm. um 
I mean, and that the Psalms are so full of that kind of language. You know, when I had almost, I'd almost envied the wicked, you know, Mm -hmm. until I came to the house of God and then I saw Mm -hmm. reality. (laughs) Um, That's like over and over again, those kinds of things. Like I was really sad and in pain. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I got, I got a a shift in perspective. And I think asking for that too, if that's something that you're like, man, I don't see out of this. I can't see out of this. Um, I want to see the angels ascending and descending on that ladder. I want to have that kind of a vision. And holding on until you get it. Mm-hmm. I think that's also in the story of Jacob is so powerful. Is that He's like, I don't know, has he got the guy in like a headlock or what? But he's like <laughs> not going to let him go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that the way that story ends is the sun shone on him as he left Peniel. Mm-hmm. It's really beautiful. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, Just another thought on that, to pick up some of the things you were saying earlier, I, I've loved in Hebrews 12 the distinction between discipline and punishment. Mm-hmm. Punishment is for the past, and just punishment is getting getting punished for some past thing that you've done. That's not the main thing he's talking about. He was, it's, it's discipline, which is future. Right? The whole mm-hmm. idea theme is, is future. This is training. It, it involves pain. It's training for the future. It's what God intends to make mm-hmm. from you, not having to do with punishing you. And, and, mm-hmm. and uh, so, so it's totally consistent with grace as the mm-hmm. main theme, mm-hmm. which makes me, you know, not to get too, uh, in the woods too far, but Jesus... We're, we're meant to be perfect, right? Mm-hmm. That can be the one of the most incredibly discouraging things. Mm-hmm. Uh, how? What does it mean that we're we're to be? We shall be perfect. According. And, and Lewis is really, I think, very helpful here because he says God is saying, "This is where you're going to go. If you get on my train, you're heading to perfection, which means you've got a really rough road. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not as if I will only deal with people who are perfect. It's rather." I only would deal with people who are willing to go toward perfection and deal with the suffering that you will need to go through to get there. I, mean, mm-hmm. I, I think of a, I cannot think of it. Uh, we got a, on a plane in, in Philadelphia heading to Charlotte. Stewardess came on and said, uh, this plane is going to Charlotte, North Carolina this morning. If you're not going to Charlotte, North Carolina, this is a real good time to deplane. <laughs> now, I think Jesus is saying something like that. Uh, it, you're headed to perfection. You're headed to something really high, uh, and the, the path there is a, a, a formidable one. So be ready for for being for going there, uh, as opposed to excluding people who aren't perfect now, which has nothing to do with what he's saying. Mm-hmm. But it's it, to me, it's a really it, it, again it has everything to do with God's grace and God's tremendous intentions for us mm-hmm. and, and uh, his, his purposes for us, which is beyond what we can imagine, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John, did you have your hand up, or did I mistake that? No? Okay. Uh, just kind of, maybe as a, an addendum to this, uh, I'm reading, I, I just began reading Joshua Abraham Herschel's The Sabbath, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the things that he points out, and I think it bear, you know, it's worth repeating, is that you know, we often think of God's creation of humanity as being the pinnacle of creation 
where he points out, no, it's not, is the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. That That's the pinnacle of creation. And from that, he just sort of uh, reconfigures uh, God's relationship to us is really mediated not so much through things, but through time. And uh, and and he's uh, I, I just started reading it, but, but I think the this whole like these ideas of thickening and blessing, and sort of the embiggening, if that's a word, of <laughs> of life, uh, really can be uh, thought of not so much in terms of the materiality around us, but in the in our relationship to time and, and, and what that means sort of in, in God's eyes and, and in our eyes, in this idea of eternity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it really is, it's, it's quite lovely, but at the same time it's a little bit kind of uh, uh, overwhelming or uh, inspiring mm-hmm. in, in that case. And he, and he makes the added point that biblical Hebrew doesn't really have a word for a thing. Uh, in as we think of things. Uh, so it does put this premium on God's relationship to us as somehow wrapped up in the idea of time. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Have fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I'm going to wrap this up here in a second, too. I'm seeing some ruby heads. But... Um, I think you should take that idea and run with it with Hebrews. Yeah. Therefore, there remains a rest for the people of God. Just, just right. There's your homework, Peter. <laughs> I feel like you needed some more homework. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I think, I mean, it has, all of that has to do with real life. I think um, embiggening is a good word for, uh, to add to your word bank, uh, Ben, of other words you could use. Um, <laughs> to yeah. It kind of sounds like beginning, but you just have to really emphasize it. People know that you're saying something different. I'm going to wrap us up here because I'm tired of standing up here. <laughs> um, thank you, but thank you.